Thanks, Joey. And now, now that I have the mic, I just want to say I love, I love all of you as well. <laughs> Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the support. Um, yeah, and I, and I pray that that excitement does actually build to just hear what the Lord has for us this morning. If you do have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to spend most of our time in this chapter really looking at two verses specifically. And that's verse 6 and verse 7. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and verse 7. Starting in verse 6, it reads, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the reason why I prepared this specific preach is because I really felt the Lord highlighting the area of anxiety and worry specifically in this congregation and specifically in this church. And even as we just went through the, the meetings so far, I realized that there's, there's so many of us that are going through through trials, through difficult circumstances, through very difficult circumstances right now. And as humans, sometimes we can have this this unhealthy desire to try and and just grasp control over our lives, to, to grasp control over the circumstances that we're going through in our lives, rather than than trusting God in faith the way that He calls us to come to Him and trust Him. In the midst of just trying to to control things, that if we were really honest with ourselves anyway, are beyond our control, that as we do that, we start to become anxious. We start to become worried. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the word anxious as, as characterized by an extreme uneasiness of mind, or a brooding fear about some contingency. And that word contingency is is such a key word because a contingency, it's it's a future event, it's a circumstance which is possible. It's possible, but it cannot be predicted with certainty. It's not a certainty. And we have this this extreme uneasiness or brooding fear about something that, that might happen, it very well might happen, it's possible, but it also, it might not happen. There is no certainty that it will happen. And we carry this anxiety, and I remember back when I was courting my, my now wife, my amazing wife, Sue Marie, one day I was, I was courting her, and we went for a walk, and she was just sharing, just sharing her heart with me, and actually she started sharing that she was actually concerned that she might get fired from her job for various reasons. And, and as she's sharing this with me, I can, just, I can just feel that extreme uneasiness of mind. I could feel that anxiety that she was carrying as she shared with me. Fortunately, at that time in my life, I, I was wise enough as a man to realize that in this moment, I just need to, to let her share and listen. Um, because in the past, like a lot of men, I, w- I, would, I would listen for about 15 seconds and I'd be ready to, to fix it, to share the answer, to share the solution. And I, I'd stop listening about two sentences in to what she was actually sharing with me. Where it's usually, a, 
I learned that a woman needs to, to just be able to share it all. And a lot of times in that place, they feel better once they're done sharing it. They don't even need a solution. Or they share it all, and in the midst of sharing it, they solve their own, their own problem. And then very occasionally, they may actually ask the man for help, in which case then and only then should we, should we offer and give it. So by God's grace, as I was courting her, I was wise enough to listen as she shared. And she's sharing this, this anxiety and this concern that she she may get fired from her job. And then, sure enough, as she got done sharing, she actually came up with a solution in her mind for her problem. She, she said to me, you know what, I, I think the answer may be I should just quit my job. And now at this point, I, I became a little confused. <clears throat> and I started kind of doing a math equation in my head. I said, okay, on one side, here's this, this anxiety, this possible situation that could happen to her, that she might be fired from her job, and this real anxiety she was carrying that she may get fired from her job. And the outcome of that would have been she'd no longer have that job, and correspondingly, she'd no longer have an income from that job. So that was the, the possibility that she's anxious about. And then we have the solution, the thing she was willing to do, and that was to, to quit her job, which would result in her not having her job and consequently not having an income from that job. And I realized that she was willing to do what she was most fearful of and anxious about happening. It, was this, it would have been the same outcome. And I, I, I lovingly and, and gently kind of broke that down for her and, and showed it to her in that way. And when, and when she saw it in that way, she realized that it really was kind of almost silly that she was being so anxious about that possibility that she was facing and we so often do that in our lives without even, without even realizing it. We focus and dwell on these, these possible events, these possible circumstances that we create in our minds. And from that place, as we dwell on those contingencies, a very real emotional result occurs inside of us. The emotions are very real as we do that, but they come from an actual event that may never happen that we created in our mind, that we chose to meditate and to focus on. And from that place, we, we carry around an anxiety. We carry around a worry that it begins to affect our well-being. It begins to affect our relationships with others. It begins to affect our relationship with God. In Sumeri's case, what she worried about, not only did it never happen, she never did get fired from her job, Actually, shortly thereafter, she, she got promoted with the raise, and she continued to work there until we moved here to South Africa. So that worst-case contingency that she spent so much time being anxious for, it did never happen. And all of that time, all of that emotional energy that went into being anxious about something that could possibly maybe happen, it was gone. It was wasted. She couldn't get it back. And you might say, well, it's, it's great when things work out that way. It's great when things work out with the best case scenario. It's great when things work out the way that you hope they work out. And that's very, very true. But what if Sumari did get fired from her job? What if the worst case scenario that she was anxious about did actually happen? What if the worst case scenario of whatever you're anxious about right now here today, what if it does actually happen? Because it is a possibility. We have to acknowledge that. And the fact is that even if Sumeri did get fired, 
her response has to be to run to where her trust should be. And her trust shouldn't be in her job. Her trust shouldn't be in her income. Her trust has to be in God and God alone. And from that place, she should then run to him, run to his word, run to his faithful promises, and grab a hold of them. Romans 8.28 is one of those promises. And it reads, and we know that in all things, which includes our worst case scenarios, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And as you read that scripture, ask yourself, do you believe that promise in your life? That whatever worst case scenario that you're facing, whatever anxiety you carry with you today, do you believe that God is working it and will work it for your good and for the good of those who also love him and are called according to his purpose? Do you believe that? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27, we read, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And that last question is such a powerful question to reflect on. Can any one of you, by worrying, the mere act of worrying and being anxious, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And we realize that worrying adds no benefit, it adds no value to our lives. And yet, there's this, this element of control that we try to grab onto when we worry that was not ours to grab onto in the first place. And we start just dreading and focusing on these, these contingencies, these potential scenarios that might happen. And so often our mind goes to the worst case scenario. There may be 20 total scenarios possible. 19 of them might be either really good or even okay. And there might be one worst case scenario. And how often does our mind go to that worst case scenario? And in the midst of that, we lose sight of God. We lose sight of who He is. We lose sight of our, our need to trust Him and His faithfulness in those moments. And in Philippians 4, chapter 8... Philippians 4, verse 8, the next verse in that passage, we're reminded about what our minds should be thinking about, what we should be focused on, what we should be dwelling on, especially in the midst of difficult circumstances in our life. Read, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, we are to think about these things. In Matthew 6, verse 34, we read, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So as you sit here today, what are you anxious? What are you worried about in your life right now? As we look back at Philippians 4, chapter 6, I'm not sure which translation you have. The NASB translation actually reads, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And if I were to, to end this preach right now and just leave you with that, you might be like, well, that's, that's a great instruction, but how do I practically do that in my life? Because it's easier said than done, right? Being anxious for nothing is easier said than done. Unfortunately, God doesn't just leave us with only that instruction in this passage. He actually tells us what we are supposed to do instead of being anxious. So in verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. So we see that the instructions that are about to follow, they apply in every situation. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. So we see that rather than being anxious, we're called to approach the Lord in prayer and to petition Him and to present our requests to Him. When you look at the Greek word for petition, it's deisi. It emphasizes requesting an answer to a specific need. When you look at the word request in the Greek, it's ademata. It speaks of definite and specific things asked for. So we're told to approach God in prayer and ask him for specific needs, for specific things. But we have to be careful because we can become very good and very skilled at approaching God and asking him for things in the midst of that losing sight of who he is and the glory and the honor that he deserves at all times. And if we're not careful, we can start approaching him and saying, God, I need you to do this for me. You should do this for me. Do this, do that. I need this, I need that. And we have to be very careful of maintaining that humility that we've been talking about this evening before the Lord. And in verse 6, we see two very key words in this verse that we also have to make sure we don't miss. That as we present our request to God by prayer and petition, we do it with thanksgiving. We do it with thanksgiving. We see that thankfulness is the attitude of heart that should always accompany our prayers. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and when we look at verse 18, it says, to give thanks in all circumstances. And again, that includes those circumstances that you're anxious about those worst-case potential scenarios, were to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So when you approach God in prayer, when you present your requests to Him, are you doing so with a thankful attitude, a thankful spirit, a thankful heart? If nothing else, thankful for the fact that you have breath in your lungs, that you know him, that he gave his son to die on the cross for you and your sins, that you can trust him, that he is faithful. There's so many things that we can be thankful for at all times and in all circumstances. Before I met Sue Marie, she was 
praying and, and petitioning God on behalf of her father. Her father was battling with depression, and he had attempted to take his life multiple times. So Sumeri was, was taking her prayers to God like, Lord, please take my father's depression away. Take his suicidal thoughts away, Lord, please. And she presented her request to God. And one day her father was successful in committing suicide. And obviously it affected Sumeri greatly. And one of the ways that it affected her was in her prayer life. She continued to, to speak with God, but she no, longer, she no longer made any requests. She no longer asked God for anything. You know, she had asked God to, to take away her, her dad's depression, to, to take away his suicidal thoughts, and, and God didn't grant that request. And in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her sorrow, the enemy had crept in and started to whisper a lie that she had started to grab a hold of, and it was a lie that... You shouldn't even bother presenting requests to God. He's going to do what he's going to do anyway. Don't even bother praying for anything. And I don't know if anyone in this room is in that place, even right now, today, where you, you have been at one point in your life. And fortunately, Sumeri continued to, to press into God in the midst of her pain. And the Lord began to, to lead her on a, a beautiful journey of, of knowing him more, of knowing his heart more. One thing that he revealed to her was, was numerous examples in the Bible where the Lord actually did change things. He changed circumstances specifically in response to a person's prayer. We have examples of Abraham, of Moses. So we don't want to lose sight of the power of prayer, for starters. James 5, 16 tells us the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. It is effective. And then when we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, we're reminded to never stop praying. Never stop praying. So we see very clearly, if you ask the question, well, why should I pray? It's very clear. We're, we're instructed very clearly to pray, and we're called to be obedient. There's an element of obedience that's just very simple. We're called to pray. There's an element of obedience. Our job is to, to be obedient to what God asks us to do. But in the midst of that, trusting that the results are always up to Him. The results are always up to Him. And in Philippians chapter 4, we see the Scripture tells us very specifically to bring our requests to God. But we need to note that when we pray and we petition God with thanksgiving and bring our requests to Him, that verse 7 doesn't say that God will give you exactly what you asked for. And we see a great example of the heart that we should have in prayer when we look at one of Jesus' prayers that He prayed as His death on the cross was, was rapidly approaching. And we look at Luke 22, verse 42, where Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. So we see Jesus is, he's praying here. He's presenting a request. He's petitioning the Father. And specifically in this case, he's petitioning to please take this cup of suffering 
away from me. And when, when you hear Jesus' request, if you put yourself back in that time, in that day, it, it's such a righteous, reasonable request. Like you look at Jesus' life, he did nothing wrong, he committed no sin, he didn't deserve the suffering. It was a very righteous prayer request that any reasonable person would say, surely God should answer this prayer. Even his disciples who were walking with him, it didn't make sense to him. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is explained to them what's going to happen. He's explaining that he must suffer many things and he must be killed. And in verse 22, we see, we see how Peter responded to that. He actually takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him. Can you imagine? Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And we know now that God didn't take that cup of suffering away. And we know the bigger picture. We know what the concerns of God were. But Peter and so many others that time, they couldn't, they couldn't grasp it in the moment. And I really want to go back to Luke twenty-two forty-two, and I want to highlight Jesus' heart posture in his prayer. He prays, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. So Jesus did pray and present his request to the Father. But we see very clearly he was submitted to his Father's will as he did so. We have to do the same. That even as we present righteous requests, like things that in our human mind, our human concerns that we think, Lord, surely you should answer this prayer request. Surely, Lord, you should heal this person. Surely, Lord, you should bring my son or daughter to salvation. Surely, Lord, you should bless this person financially that's serving you so financially. Surely, Lord, you should do that. This is a righteous request. It aligns with your heart. And in the midst of presenting those requests in prayer, we have to say, yet your will be done, not mine. And be submitted to his will. Jonathan Edwards once said, with respect to God, prayer is but a sensible acknowledgement of our dependence on him to his glory. We have to remember that all God does is for his glory first and for our benefit second. And as we humbly come before him and we pray and, and we acknowledge that each and every situation that we come to him in prayer and we give it to him, we're, we're acknowledging our dependence on him and that brings him glory. So we pray because God commands us to pray because it glorifies him and it does benefit us. Back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, we, we see the promise of the scripture that does come from going to God in prayer and petitioning him with thanksgiving and presenting our request to him. And that promise is the peace of God. The peace of God. And peace is such a, a wonderful thing. There's a, a human element 
inside of us that, that craves peace. We crave peace in our lives. We crave peace in our hearts. We crave peace in our minds. But what's so great about the peace of God is it actually transcends all understanding. It transcends all understanding. It, it doesn't make sense to our human minds that as people look at you in your life, as you go through a trial, as you go through a difficult circumstance, and they observe you and they see that in the midst of something that would make the average person crumble, you are standing firm in the midst of that trial. There's joy coming from your heart, and you're even praising the Lord in the midst of that trial. As the rest of the world observes that, it doesn't make sense to them. They can't comprehend it. It blows their mind. How can you possibly react that way with what is going on in your life right now? And the answer is God, of course, and it's that peace of God that surpasses understanding. And as if just having the peace of God wouldn't be enough, we see the scripture tells us that this peace of God guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And in the Greek, it is actually a military term to protect by guarding. So the peace of God will actually stand guard at your heart and at your mind. That in the midst of, of trials and difficult circumstances, that in the midst of that, as the enemy is trying to come in and trying to lie to you, trying to discourage you, trying to deceive you, that this peace of God is standing guard at your heart and mind when you choose not to be anxious, but rather to pray and petition with thanksgiving and present your requests to God, remembering who He is and who you are in Him. Let me pray for you. Lord, we acknowledge our dependence on you, Lord. We come to you, Lord, with humble hearts, with thankful hearts, thankful that we can just be here and just have the certainty, the knowledge that we are yours, that, yeah, that you grabbed a hold of us, that we can trust you, that we can lean into you, that you're faithful, that you're true, that your word is true, that we can, in the midst of any and every circumstance and situation, Lord, that we can just come to you, that we can just pray to you, Lord, and that you, you grant us your peace, Lord, a peace that's beyond what we can even comprehend in our human minds, Lord, a peace that just guards our hearts and our minds. So I pray, Lord, that we just press into you right now, that if there's anything that we're we're anxious about, Lord, that we, we choose not to, Lord, that we come, we pray, we surrender at your feet, we petition you, we present our requests to you with thankful hearts, Lord. We come to you in humility, we depend on you, Lord, and we want to give you all of the praise, all of the glory, and all of the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.